How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Eucalypt Speed Test Intelligence Data. Fixed median download speeds. US Q3 It's time for Come and Talk It with your host, Michael Cargill, brought to you by Texas Law Shield. Over the last decade, Michael has championed and supported the rights of law-abiding Texans to own and use firearms. He is the owner of Central Texas Gunworks, a veteran of the United States Army, and has achieved national exposure in such prestigious media outlets such as Forbes Magazine, Fox Business News, CNN Money, AOL, BBC World News, Huffington Post, and the New York Times. Cargill vigorously defends lawful gun ownership in this country without regard to party politics. And now, here's Michael Cargill. Good day, Austin, Texas, the live music capital of the world. Let's praise the Lord and pass the ammunition. All right, so today I have a big treat for you. I tell you, we have all this talk going around the country now in D.C. and in Texas and other states. They're talking about imposing more gun control measures or imposing gun control measures altogether, all because of the church shooting that happened here in Texas and also what happened in Las Vegas. But they're using Texas as a jumping point to start talking about gun control measures. And so I thought it would be fitting to bring in Jerry Patterson and Susanna Hupp, the mother and father of the concealed handgun license law, which is which is now called the license to carry handgun law. So I thought I would bring them into the studio and talk to us about what their thoughts are on and also what maybe some things we should do or should not do. So let me bring into the conversation, Susanna Hupp. Welcome to Come and Talk It. How you doing, ma'am? Hey, thank you so much. I'm I'm uh, I'm finding myself sitting here blushing that you you just married Jerry Patterson and I. <laughs> <laughs> well, then let me bring Jerry Patterson into the conversation. I can do worse, Susanna. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I, I, it's great. Probably no one's ever given you that introduction before. The mother and father of the Texas concealed <laughs> handgun law. Nope. No, you're, sir, no, you're the first. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I thought it would be fitting. So let me ask you guys uh, your point of view. You know, there's there's a lot of talk. We're talking about banning bump stocks, you know, which bump stocks is uh, ba- basically just a piece of plastic. It's a type of way of shooting. So you can. You can use a rubber band. You can use a belt loop. You can use your finger and just pull the trigger really fast and fire the gun with the same type of speed. And we're talking about firing a semi-automatic handgun. And they're talking about banning bump stocks. They're talking about removing the suppressor bill, uh, the bill that would actually allow people to purchase a suppressor just like any other firearm without going through the NFA list, without getting a tax stamp. They're talking about removing that off of a bill and adding banning bump stocks in DC. And then you have Moms Man Actions and, and and Texas Gun Sense. Organizations like this are talking about we need some type of gun control measures. So let me go to Susanna Hupp first. What are your thoughts about that, ma'am? Well, you know, I was speaking to somebody just a, a few nights ago about bump stocks and and they were 
effectively begging me to to say something that would allow them to uh, be able to pass some laws to make them feel good. And I finally looked at her and I said, you know what, if it will make you feel good, and those are the operative words there, if it will make you feel good to ban bump stocks, go ahead. But don't for one second think that it will make any difference in any future a God forbid mass shootings. Yep. All right, so let me go to Jerry Patterson. Uh, the- I agree. I agree. Um, it, you know, I agree absolutely. I'm, I I don't uh, have any problem with bump stocks. Maybe bump stop. <laughs> well, you know what I'm saying. I don't have any problem with. Uh, I mean, that that goes around the intent of the National Firearms Act of 1934. But exactly as Susanna said, it will not make us safer. It will not save any lives. And actually, it's a crutch for those who need some kind of solace or need some kind of safe space, mental safe space, uh, that, oh, we'll be safer now. Here's the worst thing that happens after this is that everybody stands around, politicians, citizens, whatever, the clueless cabal, and they say, we have to do something. That's precisely wrong. If there's something that can be done to make us safer, we need to figure out what it is. But the worst thing in the world you can do is do something. That makes you feel better. Like assault weapons ban. We tried that. Waiting periods, registration, whatever you want to do. Use one of the usual suspects out there. None of it makes us safer. You know, and I'd like to point out that uh, I'm pretty sure the 3D printers that are so incredibly available now can reproduce a bump stock in a few minutes. Oh, absolutely. You're absolutely correct. Because the second that these knuckleheads decide that they're actually going to ban bump stocks, then they're actually going to create a whole nother product line and people are going to come out with 3D printers and the program and they're going to be able to make these things right inside of their living room. And it's just going to start a black market. Of course. Yeah. So, well, you know, I own a fully automatic weapon. I have a class three weapon. And, uh, you know, I would rather have the real thing than an artificial reality based upon the recoil and uh, actuating the trigger finger or some kind of trigger jiggler or something like that. I think it's a piece of junk. I, don't, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have one. And, you know, but it, the only time it really worked was in the shooter in Las Vegas. He didn't have to aim. He had a target-rich environment with everybody tucked in, several thousand people crammed shoulder to shoulder. You, wouldn't, you could have done just as well just semi-automatic. But, yeah. Absolutely. Go ahead, Susanna. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna say I almost hate to say things like this on the on the radio, but um, my son and I uh, were talking a little bit about the Las Vegas shooting immediately after it happened, and and people that think that banning bump stocks or or banning any kind of weapon um, would make a difference in, in a situation like this, I think they just lack imagination. I mean, this guy had two private planes, and there was an airport less than a mile away. If he really wanted to kill people. He could have gotten into one of his planes and flown into that crowd, landed it through the crowd into the stage, and he more most likely would have killed thousands of people instead of the the 58 that he did. So it's, it truly shows a lack of imagination, if you ask me. I uh, I also think that he could have sat up there with a hunting rifle and very carefully, very quietly picked off a person here, a person there, a person in the middle, a person in the back, it would have taken them forever to figure out anything was going on. Absolutely. And then you have uh, Hillary Clinton. Her, she came out and tweeted. She said, you know what? Well, what if he'd use a suppressor or a silencer? You wouldn't be able to hear any of the sounds. And we like to point out that 
the suppressor or the so-called silencer, the only thing that does is it suppresses the sound. It's not going to be a totally silent sound. It just it lowers that tone just enough so that you don't have to have hearing protection on. That's all. But you can still still hear the shot. Well, and if you're shooting a round that's faster than 1,100 feet per second, you still hear the shock. I mean, it goes faster than the speed of sound, so you're not suppressing that at all. That occurs after the round leaves the muzzle of the weapon. So I don't think it suppresses that, I mean, at all. Uh, and that's what you would have heard. He was shooting a 223, I assume a 223 or 308 AR platform. And you would have heard every single one of those shots, even if he'd had a suppressor. Absolutely right. And the reason yeah. he used uh, different firearms, he had so many, is because after, when you're firing so many rounds over and over and over again, the barrel gets so hot, you actually have to switch guns. Yeah, you over over the barrel. Uh, and, you know, I'm not sure about I'm I'm fine with suppressors. And th- this is an interesting thing. The people who know nothing about guns will call them silencers. Well, of course, they're not. Uh, they're suppressors. They reduce the sound. People that know nothing about uh, about ballistic armor will call them bulletproof vests. Of course, they're not. You know, there is no such thing as a bulletproof vest and a silencer. That's all from the James Bond movies or maybe the 30s gangsta movies. But we're dealing with people who know absolutely nothing about firearms. Mm. And many of them are in positions of, of making decisions for the rest of us. And that's pretty damn scary. Absolutely. Now, what are your thoughts on the concealed carry reciprocity bill that's before us that Senator John Corning uh, is the author of? Susanna? Actually, I'm I'm jumping out ahead of myself here, but obviously, I think everybody out there that knows me knows that I support anything that uh, gets us closer to the true intent of the Second Amendment. I mean, I've always believed in constitutional carry, so uh, if reciprocity helps get us a little closer to that, then I'm all for it. Well, and I agree. And the funny thing about it is, is that the, the 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 gun control people will shouldn't you have to have a license to own that gun? Shouldn't you have to have this? And shouldn't you have to have ever this and that and the other? Just like a car, just like a car, just like your driver's license. Then when we turn that around and say, well, if my concealed handgun license just is just like my driver's license, shouldn't I be able to use my CHL in in all fifty states as long as I'm not a permanent resident and required to get a, a permanent residency? because I can use my driver's license like that. Uh, but, yeah, I'm in favor of reciprocity. There are some people who say they oppose to it. They oppose it because it interferes with state sovereignty. I think individual sovereignty prevails over state sovereignty, and individual sovereignty means that I should be able to carry anywhere I wish to carry in any state in these United States. And, and as a, uh, just to kind of uh, dovetail with that, we for local control or state control of constitutional rights. At least we shouldn't. We don't allow for local control and and, uh, uh, municipalities to fiddle with our right to free speech, our right to exercise religion, our right to petition. Um, Anybody that talks about uh, uh, municipalities or or states individually being able to um, control other rights makes me a little bit nervous. Okay, when we come back from the break, uh, I'm going to ask you a little bit more about local control. I'm going to ask you about church carry. I'm going to ask you to get in depth with constitutional carry, uh, and we're going to break all this stuff down. We're talking with Jerry Patterson. We're talking with Susanna Hupp, the mother and father of the concealed handgun license law in the state of Texas. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It.
Yo, what's going on, guys? It's Chad Jones here, and I get my gun news from Michael Cargill on Come and Talk It. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now, here's Michael Cargill. That's right. We get knocked down, but we get back up again. We're talking with Jerry Patterson and Susanna Hupp, the mother and father of the concealed handgun license law. That's right. It takes a good guy with a gun to stop a bad guy with a gun. That's what happened that church shooting in Texas. If it wasn't for that... That NRA instructor who decided, you know what, I hear something. I, I got to stop it. I need to grab my gun, grab my ammunition. I'm going to go over here and I'm going to stop it right now. And another citizen, that said, he said, hey, stop. I need your I need a ride. I, I, this this happened at this church right here. I need you to we need to get in this truck. We need to go down the street. We need to catch this guy and get him. He said, OK, let's go. Didn't even know the guy. That's what it takes. That's Texas, the Lone Star State. All right, so we're talking with Jerry Patterson and Susanna Hupp, the mother and father of the concealed handgun license law. And I want to talk with Susanna a little more in depth about local control and what exactly does that mean? Well, when you're talking about, again, when you're talking about the Second Amendment, uh, and and Jerry might argue with me a little bit on this, but uh, I don't think there should be any allowance for local control for any of our constitutional rights. Can you imagine if we allow for local control of, uh, let's say, the freedom of religion or uh, whether or not women should vote or whether or not blacks should vote, what about uh, the right to our privacy? We don't allow for local control of constitutional rights, so that's always been kind of a bugaboo for me, and that's why I believe in constitutional carry. But I also recognize that we lost our rights incrementally, and I'm pragmatic enough to understand that we'll probably get them back that way as well. All right, so when it comes to constitutional carry then, uh, tell me a little bit more about your thoughts on that because, you know, we have, uh, let's see, uh, where, where Bernie is from, um, you know, it, 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 I, yeah. Thank you, Vermont. You know, in the state of yeah, Vermont, Vermont, you know, hey, they have Bloody constitutional Vermont. carry there. There are some other states that have constitutional carry, but actually Vermont said, you know what? We don't need a handgun license. So other states, they started with a handgun license program. In Vermont, they said, no, we don't need one. So, hey, you know, let's let's listen to what that's, the Constitution says. That's exactly right. In fact, uh, back when I was in the legislature, I actually filed a uh, Vermont-style carry bill um, a couple of times, not because I thought it would pass, but because I wanted to open the conversation. There were a number of legislators that had, in fact, I would hazard to say the vast majority of legislators, and certainly most of the media, had never heard of such a thing, and they were shocked that anything like that even existed. So soon so after the Concealed Handgun License Law, I'm sure. Say again? I say so soon after the Concealed Handgun License Law went into oh, effect, yeah. I'm sure they were in shock. Yes. Yeah, well, that, that yeah, I just think more than anything, it was, it was educational for them. Okay. And then, and Jerry, you know, what are, what are your thoughts on constitutional carry? Well, uh, going back to the local control, uh, okay. I mean, I don't differ with Susanna 
a, a bit because I saw it when we when we passed the concealed handgun law in 1995. All these municipalities, every Jake Leg governmental entity, by whatever means you would define that, passed some kind of ban. I mean, the city of Galveston in my district said you couldn't have you know, notwithstanding the fact that you had a license, you couldn't be on the city street, the city sidewalk, the city parking lot, the city building, da 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 da, which meant that you couldn't even back out of your driveway or ride your bicycle in front of your house. So yeah, no local control for constitutional liberty. Now, as far as you know, constitutional carry, unlicensed carry, I'm in fine with that, but I have an exception. People don't like me because of this, but if you're going to carry concealed, I think you should have a license to carry concealed. You're going to carry openly constitutional carry, I'm fine with it, just like open carry of a, of a long gun has been lawful for very many years. But I get kind of queasy on allowing uh, you know unlicensed concealed carry. If you're carrying openly, that's good. Go for it. <laughs> All right. And then uh, the topic this week uh, was, you know, church carry, you know, carrying in, in places of worship and then also in bars. So and that that's where it gets a little, you know, some people on the pro gun side kind of divide a little bit when it comes to carrying in bars. So let me ask you, mm-hmm. uh, ask you, Jerry, you know, what are your thoughts about carrying inside of a bar? Well, you know, I used to think that the only place that I was I was supportive of banning carry was a bar. Uh, but having carried unlawfully in bars on frequent occasions, I have to tell you, you know, you don't really know if it's 51% or not. Uh, it's, uh, frankly, I think the only place that carry should be an authorized is private property premise holders or premises where the premise holder says you can't carry here. Uh, there are no safe spaces. There are no uh, places you can go. There are no, uh, you know, gun-free zones that are gun-free except for those people who choose to obey that. And same thing with churches. I mean, I when when I passed a concealed handgun law in 1995, I had to accept the church ban to get a vote I needed to get two-thirds to suspend the rules in the Senate. I came back two years later in 97, and we amended the prohibited location uh, uh, provisions in a very, very crafty way. We didn't eliminate there were three prohibited locations. We didn't eliminate them. We just created another section in the penal code that says if you don't post a notice, then it doesn't apply. And the reason it did it that way is because my nemesis at the time, Royce West, Senator West from Dallas, wasn't didn't and I did it so quickly he didn't figure out what I was doing. He said, What are you doing here? I said, Well this is just a standard signage amendment, so we all know what the signs look like and we can recognize them. Oh, okay. <laughs> we didn't know it was not only standard signage, but it was doing away with church prohibition. I guarantee church, it enhances the quality of the sermons and shortens their duration. That's one good reason. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, we love you for it. Let me tell you. Good trick. Love you for it. And Susanna, what are your thoughts? Well, I'm in complete agreement with him. Um, and I, I don't know if, if some of your listeners are aware, but there was a church shooting back in, I believe it was 2007 in Colorado Springs, and there was a woman uh, carrying lawfully there, and she took the guy out. Uh, as it was, I think he was only able to kill two people, a couple of sisters, and it, it, it could have ended much more uh, dramatically, and um, I'm, I'm just grateful for the fact that that lady was there, and she was able to take him out. Yeah, even the uh, church shooting we had here in Texas, things would have been a little worse because he was planning on going to other places because he was looking for someone in particular and they were not at the church that day. So he was actually going to yeah. continue on and move on from there. So yeah. it, 
things, you know, definitely could have gotten worse. If it wasn't for a good guy with a gun, you know, I don't know what would have happened on that day. You know, what an amazing story that is. I, I'd love to meet that gentleman. I, I don't know. I don't know that I would have the wherewithal to be able to go out and do that. Uh, I'd love to know a little more about his thinking process and what exactly he heard that made him um, absolutely be convicted that it was a shooting, you know, an illegal shooting going on in that church. I'd, I'd love to know what his thought processes were. Yeah, because he, he was definitely spot on because he this guy left the house so quick he didn't have shoes on. Yeah. yeah, that's yeah. how fast he left the house. Uh, it was amazing. He's definitely a hero, and he should be on every talk show in this country and given you know all of the accolades and awards you know that yes. <laughs> that are befitting. For and, sure. the, and the guy that drove the truck, absolutely. You know? I mean, here he is. He's the guy's covered in tattoos. Got his got his cowboy hat on. You know, but by golly, he he came up and and immediately let this guy. I mean, I'm not sure I would have let a stranger with a gun in. The- <laughs> Right away, you know, you got to wonder what the thought processes were there. But whatever yeah. it was, uh, they they managed to take the guy out, and I, I know we're all grateful for that. I know we all talk about that. You know, what would you do? Someone runs up and says, "Hey, this happened." You ha- they have a gun in their hand. They say, "Hey, I need you to give me a ride and, and let's go." And no questions asked. Okay, let's go. I mean, that's it's it's amazing. You're absolutely correct. Just amazing. I guess that's when your gut takes over, and you either know the person is telling the truth or, or not. And you know, and do you have kids in the car with you? And you know, all those things come to mind. But whatever, it worked in this case, and, and I'm happy that it did. Yeah, and then also today we have um, at least four people were killed in in Northern California at a at a school yeah. shooting. Looks like a guy. You know, that, that brings up another issue. If I, I don't know how much time we got left, but I hear all this talk about, well, the Second Amendment has outlived its usefulness. We don't have to worry about going off the yoke of the British Empire. We don't have to worry about Indians, and we don't have to worry about bandits and all that stuff. So we should we should repeal the Second Amendment. Well, first of all, we can't repeal any of the Bill of Rights because government didn't grant those. But I would suggest to you, for the sake of discussion, if you wanted to repeal a, a Part of the Bill of Rights, you should repeal the first, the, the portion that allows the freedom of the press, because then you could pass a law that says broadcast media can never say the guy's name and never show his picture, and we wouldn't have a copycat like we have today in Northern California, because half of these things, they go in clusters, they're contagious, and if somebody who's got something missing upstairs or a grudge, and they watch that coverage and they think to themselves, I can be somebody... I can go out in style. You're right because because he's yeah. trying. They're trying to yeah, outdo I, Las Vegas. I can get more than that. Go ahead. Uh, you know, you know, there's somebody watching that uh, that media coverage, and they're sitting back and they're saying, "Well, I can get more than that. Mm. I can oh, get yeah, higher yeah, exactly. than that." Yeah. Yeah, I can be somebody. I mean, that's it's it, it's true. If we if we outlawed the ability of and broadcast because mass killers don't read newspapers, you know, but broadcast media to show the guy's picture and say his name, we'd have fewer mass shootings. I mean, I'm just I'm absolutely convinced of it, and I think any any reasonable person would conclude similarly. But we can't do that because of the First Amendment protection. However, maybe there's a time when there'll be some voluntary standards. I mean. And say we're not going to show his picture, or we're going to use his initials, and this, you know I don't know, but that would you make know, it safer. Jerry, I talked about that in my book. I do think that's something that the media can come together and make a difference. Um, I agree with you that they have to report. You know, they they've got to report what happened. Of course, yeah, yeah. Tell the guy's name about him, but after that first day. 
make a pact that you're never going to show his picture or say his name again. And if anybody wants to look it up, they have to take that extra step, make that extra effort to look it up. But by golly, we're not. We, as a as a civilization, are not going to make him uh, uh, famous or yes. infamous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or you know, the the, the news station could uh, say there's a link on our website if you want to know the name, or you know, you can read the newspaper. But yeah, I mean, that would make it that would make us safer. You know, there's only one way to make us safer, and we and it's based upon the premise that I have that we really don't have a gun problem; we have a nut job problem. And the more things we can do to keep the guns out of the hand of nut jobs, which is virtually almost impossible, or to mitigate the nut jobs uh, going over the edge, that's the only thing that can be done. All right, we're talking with Jerry Patterson. We're talking with Susanna Huff, and we're talking about the Second Amendment. We come back, we're going to talk about from lubies to the legislature, one woman's fight against gun control. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It. This is Brittany Glaze, and I get my global gun news from Michael Cargill on Come and Talk It. The right choice. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. All right. So we're talking with Jerry Patterson and Susanna Hupp, the mother and father of the concealed handgun license law, which is now called the license to carry handgun law. And so we're talking about just really current events. And we're talking about gun control and this shooting that happened in California, talking about the shooting in Las Vegas. We're talking about that church shooting that happened here in Texas. And if it wasn't for a good guy with a gun, I don't know what we would do. So good thing we got good guys with guns out there because these the majority of these guys are prohibited individuals uh you look at the shooting the church shooting uh that guy he never should have been able to buy a gun from a gun store if it wasn't for the air force and sending that information to the national instant criminal check system so if it wasn't for you know that little slip there this guy should not have been able to purchase a gun from a gun store at all but then again hey he may have stolen the gun. He could have done that. So he was dead set on doing something that day, and it didn't matter what it was, whether he, he wanted to get his hand on a gun or something else. What about Timothy McVeigh? Uh, that The incident in Oklahoma City, 168 people were killed and 680 people were injured. He didn't use a gun. He used a rental truck. Uh, in the this, this situation in New York City, just weeks before the church shooting here in Texas. Uh, the guy used a rental truck, a uh, rental vehicle uh, to mow people down in New York City. But I don't see anyone calling on banning rental trucks at all. They're not saying banning rental trucks. They're talking about banning guns. So what, is, what do we draw the line? And so we're talking with Jerry Patterson. We're talking with Susanna Hupp. And Jerry was telling us during the break that, you know, the number of guns stolen and lost are just crazy. That number is just insane. And can you expand on that a little bit, Jerry? Well, you know, I've been asked, um, you know, I've, had, I've done a lot of interviews recently in New York Times, and I'm doing an re- interview with the New York Times, and, and we're, I'm on the phone, and they're in New York, and, and the guy says, are you carrying a gun on you right now? I said, yes. <laughs> and they said, well, do you think you need it? I said, no. 
Well, then why do you carry it? I said, because you, you decide either to carry or not to carry. And if you're going to carry, you need to carry all the time for two reasons. Primarily, or one of the reasons is because you always know where it is. And I asked the guy who's interviewing me, I said, when you when you leave in the morning, you leave the house in the morning, if your billfold's not in your pocket, do you notice it? Mm. Well, yeah. I said, that's the same thing as my gun. Mm. Uh, it, that way, I don't lose it. It's always there. I feel it in the small of my back and the inside the waistband holster. Uh, and when it's not there, I immediately notice it. So and that speaks to people who are deciding now to get a license to carry or not get a license to carry, but they're going to buy a handgun to carry with or without a license, you know, then maybe it's constitutional carry state. And they say, well, you know, they make a decision. Well, I'm going to the mall, but, you know, that mall has been a pretty safe mall, so I won't carry there. I'm going over here, and I better carry. No. You make a decision to carry or not carry because if you don't carry all the time, you're going to leave it in a restroom somewhere. You're going to leave it in a room or you're going to leave it to where your kids that are too small to handle it can find it. So, But lost firearms, stolen firearms primarily are the source of, of weapons for people who can't pass a background check. And the number, and if I remember correctly, it's like 150000 a month. I mean, don't quote me on that, but I was flabbergasted by the number. Um, and, and that story will be uh, not the New York Times story, but carry. If you're going to carry, carry all the time. Make it part of your, make just like having a belt or, you know, having your trousers up around right below your navel instead of below your butt. You, you notice those things if they're not what they should be. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And speaking of that, you know, carry all the time. Um, Susanna has a book from Lubies to the Legislature, One Woman's Fight Against Gun Control. Uh, tell us a little bit about your book, uh, Susanna. Well, I should say right off the bat that I am not Ernest Hemingway. Uh, having said that, the only reason I wrote the book... I wouldn't have married you if you uh, were. <laughs> Thank you. Now that Michael um, keeps calling us the mother and father of concealed carry... You know. Now that you, you keep saying that, I am an ordained minister, so we can make that happen right now, and a lot of people would be upset. I feel like he at least needs to buy me a drink, okay? There you go. Um, <laughs> No, uh, um, I lost my train of thought there. Oh, the reason, the reason I wrote the book is because at the time my my boys were still at home; they were they were growing up, and I saw a lot of stuff on the internet. I saw saw a lot of uh, articles that where I was misquoted, and mm. honestly, I just wanted to put it all down on paper in my own words, so that my kids or my grandkids, if I ever have any, will know what what. I think happened and what my belief system is. And, and I don't hold the book out to be absolute fact that this is exactly what happened. What I do hold it out to be is my perception of what happened. This is how I saw it unfolding. Because it's interesting when you talk to different people that uh, were in that particular event, you know, everybody has a slightly different view of how it unfolded. Uh, there were people that heard the, heard the gunman say stuff. I never really heard him say anything. You know, so it's it's purely my view. It's also my view of of um, of my growing up, quite frankly, and and how my thoughts about guns uh, kind of were were um, how they unfolded through the years. And see, so, and, again, and, and, does that and, make every piece of it factual? No, but it was my perception. And we're and we're talking about the Luby shooting in in Colleen, Texas. For those people that do not know. And so I'm going to ask Susanna to back up a little bit and tell us a little bit more about what happened that day and, and how did you end up, you know, in the Luby's restaurant and what actually unfolded. And I know this is a, a painful story, 
Uh, but I would definitely like for people that don't know the story, because we have a lot of young people that were born after that fact, after that happened, that actually are now carrying now. Um, you know, I was sitting on an airplane uh, next to a, a guy that was in uniform, and I mentioned it uh, because he was talking about concealed carry, and he actually wasn't born when it happened. Hmm. So I'm starting to feel a bit ancient at this point. Thank you very much. <laughs> Sorry um, about that. It was <laughs> it was actually back in 1991, and my parents and I went to the Luby's Cafeteria, which was in Colleen. It was pretty much the only place in the area to eat at the time. Uh, the place was, was jam-packed. It was boss's day, and it was the day after payday. And a friend of mine was the manager there. So we went and sat with him, and we couldn't sit in our usual spot which ended up being good because uh, as we were finishing eating, uh, my my manager friend went to the kitchen, and all of a sudden this guy drove his truck through the floor-to-ceiling window right where we usually sat. And, of course, you think it's an accident, but then we heard gunshots. And uh, immediately my father and I got down on the floor and put the table up in front of us. My mom got down behind us. But but back in 91, these mass shootings weren't occurring, so it simply wasn't the first thing that comes to mind. You know, we were waiting for the guy to say, all right, everybody put your wallets up on the table or, or something like that. Um, you're not expecting the guy to simply walk around and execute people, but, but that is what he did. And uh, the, the short story is that I made it out and my parents didn't. Um, the guy killed 23 people that day. And the police officers, uh, several of which were patients of mine, were actually one building away. And they said when they got there, all they had to do was fire a shot into the ceiling. And this guy rabbited to a back bathroom alcove area, exchanged a little gunfire with them, and then put a bullet in his own head. Yes. So, yes. you know, that's that's all it takes is somebody shooting yeah. back and they can no yeah. longer just just kill people like they're fish in a barrel yep. so that's kind of the story i mean that was the first uh the, the largest mass shooting at the time but unfortunately since then with our 24 7 news cycle like jerry said we've seen a lot of copycats you know and and that i have to tell you and i'm going to interrupt here a little bit but Su susanna made that testimony before the senate when we were, you know, hearing in the Senate hearing on the gun bill, it was the most compelling testimony I ever, ever, ever witnessed because she didn't just sit there, you know, in the chair and speak. She stood up and she walked around the table, taking her thumb and forefinger, pointing it at the various members of the committee and say, we just walked around and slowly shot people in their head as they cowered on the floor. And it was just silent. And as a matter of fact, uh, one of the senators told her, don't point that at me, don't point that at me. And I think he took offense, but damn it, that's exactly what she intended to do. He should have been offended just for the reason that she said. Mm. And I also want to double up on something Susanna mentioned about how somebody returns fire in a mass shooting circumstance that the dynamic changes because every one of these mass shootings has one common denominator, a shooter, complete, total, absolute control, calmly walking around killing people. And when I made him, I made some comment that had I been in the Aurora, Colorado theater, there would have been fewer people die. The immediate response was, no, you couldn't have done anything with that nine millimeter against a guy with body armor and multiple magazines. And I said, yes, I could have. I could have changed the dynamic. 
pandemic because no longer would that shooter have had the luxury of just killing people by shooting them in the back of the head. He would have to pay attention to somebody else and people could have escaped. Hmm. That's a risky endeavor to do that because you you yourself may get shot or the cops may think you're the bad guy and shoot you or you may shoot somebody that's an innocent victim. But that's what cops encounter. This is not a good situation. And there's no perfect answer. Susanna? And that's that's extremely well put, though. That's, that's, I've said it so many times. You know, it, it just changes the odds. It's never a guarantee. But as he put it, it changes the dynamics. All right. And then uh, there's a question coming in from West Texas from Facebook. Um, and that is, what's your carry gun of choice for both of you? Well, I've got a 9mm, 7-round capacity Ruger. You know, it's small. I used to carry a three eighty, but I just decided I wanted a little more oomph. <laughs> All right, Susanna? I have I have mixed feelings. I kind of like my guns, like I like my cameras, you know, the old cameras, a point-and-shoot, one that I didn't have to think about. I could just pull the trigger. Um so I like I like a little thirty eight Smith and Wesson revolver, but I also have a, a three eighty that I like to carry. It's you know obviously got a slimmer profile and and it's uh, easier to carry, easier to hide. All right, all right, and um, you know I always get this question about Las Vegas and the Las Vegas shooter, and people will ask, well, you know, how did this guy possibly do something like this? And they try to rationalize it. And I, and I tell them, you know, you really we can't rationalize that. You know, we can't, you know, wonder why a person did what they did. You know, how did they get all those yeah, guns in the matter. hotel and all that stuff? Because we're not crazy. That's why we cannot rationalize it. We're not crazy and it doesn't make sense to us. And you have to be a crazy person to understand that. Well, it's Charles Whitman. I mean, I recall very vividly what I was doing on the day the shooter was in the UT Tower. I wasn't at UT campus. I was, you know, uh, but I was listening to it on a transistor radio uh, that I was carrying around when I was doing some, had a summer job doing some construction work. But he was not like the rest of us. We can't rationalize it. And and there was an autopsy to the extent that it had any validity at that vintage. He had some kind of brain damage or it's been you know it's been suggested this guy in in las vegas was nuts uh you know the guy in 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 sutherland springs i don't know if he's nuts as as much as he was demented he was just evil 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 i think the guy in las vegas was was nuts so certifiably but the guy in sutherland springs was just an evil piece of crap you know, I've I've kind of gotten to the point where uh, when when people start looking for reasons on things like this, I mean, I, look, I understand the human condition. We want to we want to find a reason for things so that we can prevent them in the future. But what I've always told my kids is, evil exists, and I mean I mean genuine evil. If you're a religious person, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There's something beyond beyond the normal uh, bad guy on the street. It's something. It's something sick and demented and devilish in, in every sense mm-hmm. of the word. And I, I've actually had people say some of the most, what I think are some of the most ridiculous things to me, like, um, you know, well, well, couldn't you have have reasoned with the person? Couldn't you have? <laughs> it's like, it's like I, I'm, I'm flabbergasted that they would even suggest such a thing, and it's hard for me to not just kind of chuckle when they say that. But that's somebody who has never been presented with evil. Yeah. All right, yeah. and, and I got another question. I got a question for uh, for Jerry here. If you were lieutenant governor, um, 
what would you change or what build would you come up with uh, for the next session? Related to the handgun license. Oh, uh, well, I'll tell you what I would do, and this is a thing that needs to be done really, really quickly, and it shouldn't be controversial. Our uh, penal code, 46, 4603, 4602, 4603, 30 out 6, 30 out 7, it is so convoluted mm. that it, it needs to be written. And we would agree on day one with the gun grabbers, okay, we're not going to change anything. We just want to make it to where people can read it and understand it. It would be a rewrite of the penal code. So you wouldn't have the confusion like early after the Sutherland Spring shooting. Well, he was he couldn't carry lawfully in a church. Well, actually, he could. Uh, but that wouldn't have made any difference as to outcome. So that's what I would do. Yeah. Okay. Susanna, let me ask you that same question. I, I, I'd love to see constitutional carry. You know, let's get rid of the permitting process. Let's get rid of the fees involved. Let's allow people to be able to exercise their Second Amendment right. Okay, because um, somebody, someone well, said I, this. I past agree with that too. I mean, I'm with Susanna. I was thinking about my pet peeve about the statute, but yeah, Susanna, I'm with Susanna on that. And and then because uh, uh, this past session, uh, some people that were in the legislature that actually said, well, you know, people should be the people should be happy now. They should be pleased because we reduced the fees. So the fee, you know, was one hundred and forty dollars for the license. It's now forty dollars for the license. So now they should be happy. Well, I have a problem with that again. Now, look, I've I've always people think that I've always supported uh, concealed carry, but the truth is, I support the Second Amendment, and I hate to be so repetitive with that. But what I mean is, is genuinely that I don't really support permitting systems. I I think the very word permit says that we're having to ask permission to exercise a right. And the second problem that I have, and I've actually had a lot of people ask me about this, is that when you have a permitting system, once again, you have, (laughs) now I sound like the paranoid conspiracy theorist, but the government suddenly has a list. Mm. And I have a problem with that. And, you know, I always think back, uh, do you remember the old Patrick Swayze movie, uh, Red Dawn? Yes. Yeah. Well, as soon as they got there into town, as soon as the bad guys got into town, one of the first things that the Cuban general said to one of his underlings was to go to the sheriff's office and get the list of license holders. Mm. Yep, yep, yep. See, now you're going to make me go back and take a look at that movie and, and catch yeah. that part. Fact, I didn't they, see almost, that. they talked about taking that out of the movie. Mm. They actually talked about taking it out of the movie. It was actually a conversation that was had, but yeah. So that I mean I always think of that piece of the movie and I people think that that can't happen here but I would uh, I would beg to disagree. It, it has happened. It has happened. I mean there was a unlawful uh, retention of uh, 4473 a background check uh, for a while and, and so that was oh, really yeah. Yeah, I mean it has happened, and you know somebody says, well, you know we should register all the firearms, and it's not unconstitutional to register firearms. I say I agree with you. It's not unconstitutional to register firearms. What that automatically leads to is confiscation. Confiscation is clearly unconstitutional, and so this incrementalism will get us in bad places. And what's the 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 confiscation of the forty four seventy three you're talking about? No, uh, maybe I maybe I talked too fast. the 4473, that, that information is not to be permanently retained by by the Knicks people. I right. mean, you, you know this better than I. I mean, correct, you're, you're correct. in the business. Correct. But there were circumstances where the federal government was maintaining that data on those Knicks checks unlawfully. 
And so, so they will do that. Anytime you have to submit name and a, and a, and a serial number on a particular firearm or is, is or on a name, then you have the opportunity to create a database. And the feds were retaining that information until they got caught doing it. And this has been about 10 years ago. And California does it now. I mean, California has a two-step system where you the the state government actually does the next check. You know, the dealer calls the state, and the state does the next check. So they already keep in there. And, and they've done confiscations on semi-automatic weapons just uh, in California based upon the registration schemes. So, yeah, that's what you got to fear. Uh, no matter how well-intentioned your government may be and the people that are telling you may be telling you the truth, but there's always some sneaky bastard that will keep a list. Mm, mm. Got a good point there. Now, yeah. what about church carry? You know, why should we carry in church? You know, why there? Well, well, as I said earlier, it makes it <laughs> I, I got to ask these questions because, you know, I, 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 we get all these people all day long, you know, that yeah. constantly hammer me about this stuff. Why should I carry in church? Because there's no reason not to. I mean, and furthermore, to prohibit carry in church violates the First Amendment. The church should decide who could attend their services, not the government. And the government was telling a church, I'm sorry, no guns in your church. Wait a minute. Isn't it my church? Isn't it? Isn't yeah, it the private property. Of- yeah, isn't it private property? And the government says no guns in church? I don't think so. And that was one of the things I accepted that I hated, but we got rid of it two years later. Mm-hmm. Susanna? Well, yeah, I, I completely agree. And, in fact, I know more than one pastor that keeps a gun in their pulpit. Um, and it's a shame. Of course it's a shame. And it makes us all sick that this stuff happens. But I, I honestly believe that there are two people in two types of people in the world. At least I've come to this realization over the last decade or so. There are people that that are are the sheep mentality, mm. and I, I, that sounds nasty, and I don't I don't mean it to be, but they genuinely believe that the government is there to save them in a crisis. And then there are the rest of us who believe that uh, it's it's up that our lives are our own responsibilities, our families' lives are our responsibilities first and foremost. And um, that may be a little simplistic, but I I really truly believe that it boils down to that. When I talk to some people, I mean I've had, I've had some women tell me, "Well, I'm just not sure that I could take somebody's life." And I said, "Really? What if it meant your children's life was going to be saved?" And say, well, I'm just not sure I could do it. And I think to myself, well, my God, you know, I, I, all I can say is I feel sorry for your children, and you really shouldn't reproduce. Mm. <laughs> all right. I mean, uh, that's, that's, that's brutal, but, you know, you asked me about my book earlier. That's, that's really the reason or the secondary reason that I wrote it. I, I wrote it without a bunch of statistics, without a bunch of graphs, without a bunch of of, uh, of things that were going to put people to sleep. I wanted a regular Joe Blow to be able to sit down and read the book in a few hours and get, get the basis of, of what I think are very simple arguments without bogging it down with statistics that usually put people to sleep. Right, right. And Jerry? Well, uh, I agree. I mean, there's the people that have so much faith in government that they can understand that they might need to be self-reliant, that they might need to be responsible for outcomes themselves. And the government's role is to provide good information 
and take care of the people who are truly criminals. So it's and it's a, it's a it's a very disturbing trend. All right, we're talking with Jerry Patterson. We're talking with Susanna Hupp. We're talking about a lot of things, including one woman's fight against gun control from the Lubies to the legislature. We're also talking about the church shooting that happened here in Texas and also the shooting happened in Las Vegas, talking about all shootings. We're talking about what happened in Oklahoma City but using the rental truck, talking about what happened in New York. That was a rental truck. We're talking about gun confiscation. We're talking about gun control. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It. This is Doug Man Jones. (laughs) And I get my gun news from Michael Cargill at Come and Talk It. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now, here's Michael Cargill. That's right. You can't always get what you want, and that's my message to the anti-gun community. But what you are going to get is a good guy with a gun. He's always going to be there, hopefully, to stop a bad guy with a gun. All right, so we're, we're on the phone with Jerry Patterson. We're talking with Susanna Hupp. We're talking with the mother and father of the concealed handgun license law, which is now called the license to carry handgun law. And my question first is... Uh, the mayor of Austin, uh, Mayor Adler, decided that he was going to boycott the Veterans Day parade. So I want to ask Jerry Patterson, you know, what, what are your thoughts on that? You know, a, an elected official, our mayor, city, yeah, mayor, city yeah, of Austin, well, the capital, decided he was going to boycott Veterans Day. Yeah, well, a year ago, essentially the mayor boycotted Veterans Day because the presence of the Sons of Confederate Veterans reenactment group. But a year ago, the SCV reenactors were in the parade as well. And a year ago, they carried the Confederate battle flag. Uh, this year, they agreed not to, con- uh, to carry the battle flag. You know, they gave a little bit, but the mayor could, still couldn't stand it. And what I wanted to ask the mayor was, and I think this was the case. I was in Houston at, uh, on Veterans Day, but uh, usually the Buffalo Soldiers, uh, you know, the reenactor group uh, commemorating the service of the 9th and 10th U.S. Cavalry, the black soldiers in the post-Civil uh, War era, they're, they're frequently in the Veterans Day parade, as they should be. But when you think about it, what did they do? They participated in a genocidal war against an entire race of people, the American Plains Indians. So when we start measuring people, you know, by actions of 150 years ago, and we say this group is okay and this group is not okay, it's just selective indignation because they all, all of our historic icons have warps, have, have warps of some kind, whether they're Buffalo soldiers, Confederate soldiers, Union soldiers, Texas revolutionaries. Uh, we all they all have warts, so we need to learn from those warts, frankly. And, and also, you have the Austin Independent School District (IAS) AISD. They're now talking about renaming schools and taking, um, you know, just changing all the yeah. any, any schools yeah. that are named after Confederate generals or whatever have Confederate names. They're yeah, actually going to remove those. 
But nobody's saying a word about Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln, in the inaugural address, when he after he was elected, he supported the constitutional amendment and said in his inaugural address that I, the constitutional amendment, which would have forever protected slavery where it existed, he supported it. Lincoln was in favor of deportation of, of slaves, and Lincoln was uh, in Lincoln-Douglas debates said on multiple occasions how the white race is is superior to the black race and shall always remain and also in the lincoln douglas debates lincoln said and i'm almost quoting here pretty accurately there's no one that i believe will not agree that the mexican citizen is a mongrel race that's lincoln Mm. but you know what we're not gonna talk about his name on a school or a street or a park again (laughs) nobody will stand you know, uh, the, the Moors of today, you just, it's, it's a useless endeavor. And these Confederates want to, I mean, some, <laughs> I mean, they're not exactly um, major figures. The postmaster of the Confederacy, I mean, give me a break. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think it's, it's very dangerous because uh, you're, you're talking about erasing history. Uh, and you, you you do this on this side. What's going to stop us from down the road doing it, you know, with other things? And then before well, you know it, we've changed our history and it becomes his story. The the, the, the church in uh, Arlington, Virginia is removing the monument to Washington and Lee. You know, they said that the, the monument to, to George Washington made the church not a welcoming church. This is what we're up against. You know, it's similar to a variety of things that sound like they're okay when you first start them, but they're not interested in stopping there. They're just not going to stop anywhere. Now, and and my next question is, uh, any guys, any of you decide you're going to run for public office? Because we really need, and I'm going to put it out there, I'm going to let you know, you know, I, some of our officials that we have right now are, are weak. At best, they're weak when it comes to standing up for the Second Amendment and getting some of the things that we need done done. Because here we are in 2017, and we're talking about, you know, we should have had constitutional carry pass or some other things. Well, we have a Republican-controlled governor, you know, the lieutenant governor of the House, the Senate is Republican-controlled. Why do we not have constitutional carry? Why are we still doing this little patchwork, this little Band-Aid stuff fixes to the Texas um, Second Amendment? Why is Texas not the number one pro-gun state in this country? Texas is actually number 26 when it comes to be pro-Second Amendment. And so my question is why? Why is this happening? And I need you, both of you, the mother and father, the concealed handgun law, to come back into the picture and oh, and, and run for office. Now, <laughs> at least I'm a grandpa. Well, You're a grandpa now. Okay. <laughs> you know, for 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 me, um, there are a couple of reasons that I'm not running for office, and and one of them is uh, something that that Jerry is going to have to deal with in the not too distant future, and that's having two kids in college at the same time. Mm. Um, if if you're not aware, if your listeners aren't aware, it costs an arm and a leg, and uh. here in Texas, the legislature doesn't really pay. Uh, in fact, it pretty much costs you to be there. So I'm in a I'm in a paying job, and that helps keep keep my kids in school. But there is a second reason. I have a fix for that. It's called run. For, I'm, I want you to run for governor then. <laughs> well, there's a there's a second reason why um, why I decided to step out of office, 
And that is, you kind of touched on it in the last uh, segment here, talking about public education. I, I honestly believe that it's going to be our current public education system that's going to be the downfall of the country. You know, when I go speak to Republican women's groups or, or different conservative groups, they always go after the top. You know, they'll, they'll talk about the, uh, the president or, or whoever, whoever it is at the top of the heap that they're not happy with. But I honestly think if we lose the country, it's going to be what we are teaching in our public schools right now. Now, that is not an indictment of our teachers. My sister's a teacher. She's an excellent teacher. It's an indictment of the system that is now teaching socialism. They're teaching that capitalism is bad. They're not teaching the Second Amendment. They're not teaching history. And that's where we're going to lose it. Mm. And I can't say that. You cannot say that in rural Texas and get reelected. Mm. I'll tell you what, I, 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 I know that you could get elected into being lieutenant governor or governor. And I, I, I can see both of you on the ticket. Um, you know, we just need to flip heads or tails. Who's going to run for governor? Who's going to run for lieutenant governor? It's not a problem. We already did that once. It was uh, it was Ma and Pa Ferguson. You say we're Ma and Pa the gun bill. Look what that guy is. <laughs> so we we could definitely make this happen. And then uh, and then also we we had uh, it, a week ago or so, uh, State Representative Vialba come out and say, "Hey, uh, who's a Republican?" To say, "Hey, yes, we do need gun control." But well, we need we do need to have some type of conversation about gun control or a commission or something. So let me ask you your thoughts about that, Susanna. It, it's um, you know, I guess I guess it remains to be seen what he actually believes. But it is a little disconcerting, to say the least. Um, you know, I and and I don't know him. I, I haven't dealt with him in any way, shape or form. Um, I, I just. I, I hope that when his constituents hear this, that they question him. Listen, it's hard to know what people are saying. You, you can't, when you're, when you're electing somebody to office, you can't know what they think about everything that's out there. They're going to take thousands of votes. But if you are not sure, ask them what their belief system is on the Second Amendment, because it will tell you a great deal about how they view you as mm. a constituent. Mm. Whether they believe they are there to serve their constituency or whether they think that they're going to be in a position to uh, effectively lord over their district. Mm. It tells you a lot. And, and my question is, what would have changed? What new laws can we actually come up with that would have changed any of these shootings that we've talked about here today? Well, we have a law that should have changed, and, and that's the uh, next check. But it failed mm. to catch uh, this uh, most recent shooter, more recent shooter. It failed in uh, in South Carolina when they killed the nine. Uh, uh, when uh, Dylan Roof killed nine people, he shouldn't have passed the background check. It failed in Virginia Tech because Cho had been adjudicated mentally ill. So you might start with instead of screaming to close the gun show loophole, and there really is no gun show loophole. If you want to use the term loophole, there is a private transfer loophole. If you want to use the term loophole, but it's, gun show gives you a lot more pizzazz if you're on the gun control side. But if you want to do something, instead of talking about closing the gun show loophole, why don't we talk about what can we do to get rid of the glitches in the current NICS system? 
And what can we do to pursue those who lie on their 4473 and say they don't have a felony conviction when, in fact, they do? Uh, and then maybe they get by and get the gun because uh, after the three-day refusal period passes, they get the gun on, on, you know, because it didn't wasn't verified. Why don't we go after those people when they get a gun just because uh, they lied, or when they lied and fail to get a gun? It's a it's a you know it's a, a, a federal document. I mean, they forged a, under oath essentially. So why don't we go after those people? So there's things we can do with the existing statutes that we have that we're not doing. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You know. We're we're not going after people who are lying on the 4473, which is a felony. And you're, you're right. We need to fix the system and fix the – well, they need to fix it on the federal side because uh, things that need to be reported are not being reported. All right. So absolutely yeah, – you're absolutely correct. And then um, – well, and then and lastly, what I want to talk about is uh, Senator John Cornyn is uh, – reports that he's sitting and talking with um, – you know, and I, and I I really like Senator John Cornyn. I've actually had him on the show before, and so I I, I really like him because he's actually the author of the Conciliatory Reciprocity Bill, which you know I I, I like that. And so he also, um, he also uh, got rid of the uh, prohibition on firearms in national parks uh, by sneakily adding an amendment to another bill that was unrelated. <laughs> yeah. So so what I'm yeah, asking he's a pro second amendment guy there's no doubt about that. So what I, what I want to ask you know the listeners is you know definitely contact him and and let him know we need him to stand strong because you know I don't want to believe the reports that you know you know there's talk or conversation about any gun control with any you know other groups or organizations or other members of congress. So we definitely want him to stand strong with that because I actually like Senator John Cornyn. He's I'm a really big I fan think of his. He's working on mental health I think he's working on NICS check uh, and mental health database reporting and mental health uh, reporting of, of people who are adjudicated mental health. And I'm okay with all of that, but the thing that we have to have, and it can't be like the no-fly system. Once you're on it, you're on it forever, and sometimes you don't even know. There has to be a due process, easily accessible for the average citizen way for people to get off the prohibited list if they're wrongly placed on it as far as firearms are concerned. Hmm. So and, and that's what I fear about the government is that, you know, there'll be theoretically a way, but it will never work when you're really, you know, not a prohibited possessor. Okay. Effectively a witch hunt where if somebody says something bad about you, boom, you're on yeah. the list. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. You're talking like uh, the TSA list or something like that. Correct. Correct. And essentially we have a list. But you know, you, when you when you get denied a, a, a purchase of a firearm, you can find out why, and you can correct that. Um, so we're talking about trying to add to the list people who should be on the list who are not on there now, and I think that's what Corn is trying to do. But and I'm okay with that. But whenever you have a list, there has to be a way to get off the list if you're wrongfully placed on it, and that's not the case with no fly list. That's not the case with a lot of these terror watch lists. You know, you might have how many Muhammads are there? Right. How many John Smiths are there? You know? <laughs> and and then the other thing is, um, we have a problem with the regulatory division of the Texas Department of Public Safety because this guy, with the church shooting, he yeah. was able he was actually denied his handgun license, so he was denied yeah. that, but he was approved yeah. to get a private security level two. Now, this is all Texas Department of Public Safety. It's all the regulatory division. And one is the handgun license department. One is the private security bureau. They're in the same building. 
They're, they fall in the same director. So they need to communicate and we need to merge those systems together. And they need to work together if they're, you know, because we're talking That's private security and the handgun license. And there may be different disqualifying reasons. I mean, he may have been disqualified for one for a reason that wouldn't have been a disqualifier for the other. But that should be in the same database. You're right. Yeah. And what'd you say, Susanna? Yeah, I just think that you're likely to see some legislation that will correct any problems there this upcoming year. I hope so. Session. I hope so. And that's, that's what we're pushing for. All right. So, Susanna, you want to tell everybody about a um, little bit, one little thing, more, one more thing about your book and also where they can find your book. And you can find it on Amazon. It's uh, like I said, it's a quick, easy read, and uh, it'll give you a lot of arguments when you're talking with your friends and neighbors that might feel a little squishy about the Second Amendment or or maybe you have a, a girlfriend or wife or daughter that uh, doesn't like loud things that can kill Bambi. You know, it's I really did write it for those people. It's, it is that simple read. Uh, it's got some funny parts in it, and... Um, it's gotten good reviews, so even though I'm not Ernest Hemingway, Jerry, um, I you know I I think it's a I think it's a decent read, and 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 hopefully one day we'll see a little uh, a movie about it. Well, you know, if I don't know about that, but honestly, um, yeah, I mean, in, in all sincerity, if you have that, particularly a wife or or daughter or girlfriend that is is squishy, get it for them for Christmas. Mm. Most of the women that I've talked to that have read it have really liked it, and they, there are things in there that they just haven't thought about before. And at the least, a good stocking stuffer. There you go. At the least. Yeah, definitely. From Lubies to the legislature, uh, one, one woman's fight against gun control. So definitely it's a very good read and some good information. And like you said, if there's someone who's on the fence, they're not sure – you know, which way they should go, sure if they should get that handgun license or not, or just, you know, unsure about the Second Amendment any, you know, or anything like that, then definitely get that book for them and sit down and, and read it together. It'd be, it's an awesome book. It really is. Thank you. All right. And then, and Jerry, um, what, what are some of the things that you're working on right now? Well, I'm working on uh, documentary movies uh, regarding, you know, stories about Texas history, things that you didn't know. That's kind of what I'm doing now that I'm retired. Uh, and uh, trying, to, trying to organize my day, which I find is very difficult when you're, you know, when you're not employed anymore, <laughs> when you don't have somebody to do it for you. It gets, all, it gets really busy, huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right, awesome. Well, I, I want to thank both of you for coming on the show. Uh, and we... Just on this this live video here, it looks like I think we're at, you know, I don't know, 2,000 people watched the video since we've been chit-chatting here. So that's good. And, and like I said, it's going to be, you know, we're going to – we will be live. Uh, well, it will air on Sunday. And so I, I truly like to thank you guys for coming on and, and taking that time out of your schedule today. So I know, Suzanne, I know you travel, you know, going back and forth to work. And it was it was hard, you know, to get you, you know, nailed down on the, on the time and everything. So I really appreciate it. You have no idea how much I appreciate that. And Jerry, well, we thank want you for having me. Oh, absolutely. And then, Jerry, I want to wish you a pre happy birthday. Well, thank you. Tomorrow's the day. Uh. <laughs> All right. And um. And then hopefully, uh, Susanna, we can get you get you back into office here. Get you 
happy to do it. If I can work it out, it's it's always tricky because I live so far out of town. But I appreciate what you do, and um, I hope all those folks that are listening right now, if they have any any questions or any doubts, that that they listen to you some more, that they get that book, that they listen to Jerry, and um, you know maybe they can help spread the word. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you guys, and and like I said, have a have a wonderful rest of your week, and have a happy Thanksgiving. Thank right, you. Thank you. Same to you. All righty. Happy birthday, Jerry. Well, thank you. Thank you. 71 and uh, still rolling. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That was Jerry Patterson and Susanna Hupp. I call them the mother and father of the concealed handgun license law, which is what we call now today the license to carry handgun. And let me tell you, um, they're the ones that, you know, I, I go to when I just have questions myself about you know just where do we go from here you know not about the law or anything like that because i know what the law is i know what the texas law is i know what the federal government law is when it comes to the second amendment so i i actually turn to them when i we're at a point where you know we're getting attacks from so many different sides and i i i bring in jerry or i'll, I'll call up Susanna and say Susanna, you know i got this problem you know, can you help me out a little bit? And I tell you, they are definitely the inspiration uh, that I they're my go to person that I need to keep me up and going. And so I really appreciate them. Uh, two wonderful people. And like I said, they are the mother and father of the concealed handgun license law, which if it wasn't for those two, we would not have the our Texas concealed handgun license. And moving on to other things here in Texas, because eventually Texas will eventually become the number one pro-gun state. We're not there yet. We're like at number 26. And we're trying, but we're not the pro-gun state when it comes to you know, being here in the United States, unfortunately. But we're getting there one step at a time. So, and so I definitely want to thank them. All right, so, and then this week, we had, a, there are a lot of different questions about, you know, the, the handgun law when it comes to, and I'm going to ask those questions, answer those questions right now, that pertain to 46.15. We got into that this past Sunday, and I hope we, hopefully we answered all those questions for you guys. But then there's some people right now online, there's this thing that's going around with this, with this magnet. And I don't know why this is such a popular thing with the magnet, that some people want to have the magnet have their handgun in a magnet uh, attached to the steering column. You know, it's, it's a wonderful thing. I wish I could do it too. But unfortunately, that's illegal. That's a class A misdemeanor uh, because you cannot have a, you know, cannot openly carry your handgun in your vehicle and drive around Texas, you know, without a handgun license. You know, you can't have it in the open. It must be concealed. And then as far as having a handgun license, once you get your LTC, your license to carry a handgun, then that holster, you need to have it that handgun in a holster, a holster that fits on your belt or a shoulder holster in order to openly carry that handgun. So, and and I don't know why that's so difficult for some people to understand. Uh, and I know we're seeing this this uh, this magnet av- advertised on Instagram. We're actually seeing it advertised on you know different uh, social media platforms. But that's that's that thing is going to get you a class A misdemeanor. And so we don't want that. So please, if you're going to openly carry your handgun, get a handgun license, get a license to carry handgun, take a class. That's the law. And 
It needs to be in a holster. Holster that fits on your belt or the shoulder holster. And you cannot open carry that handgun without a license. So if you don't have a license, that handgun must be concealed in the vehicle. So definitely get yourself to a, a license to carry handgun course. Learn what the laws are. Learn like conflict resolution. Learn how to calm those situations down. Um, and also learn use of force and deadly force. We talk about that as well. So definitely come on into the handgun license course. We'll get all that information, and we'll break all that stuff down for you. Um, and if you have any questions, definitely give me a call at the shop, Central Texas Gunworks, at 512-731-3585. And give us a call there. Ask my staff any questions or, you know, ask for me, and I'll answer your questions. And Or leave your name and number, and I'll call you back. Or send us a Facebook message. We'll get to your questions and make sure we get them answered because I don't want you to get in trouble. I want to make sure that you have the tools that you need. I also always make sure that my family have the tools that they need to protect themselves and also protect everyone else. And that's what's more important. Uh, so definitely get to a, you know, get to a class, get to the gun store. Come on down and see us sometime. Uh, go, go to the mom and pop gun stores, not just us. Go visit the other mom and pop gun stores that are out there in in Austin or, you know, in Texas also and in, in, in West Texas out there uh, you know, in West Texas as well. So definitely check out your little mom and pops, you know, not necessarily big box stores, because when it comes to Academy, those other big box places, I'm telling you now, when things get a little squirrely, people start, you know, doubting themselves when it comes to uh, these different shootings and stuff like that. These places here are going to be the first ones to box things up and shut them down. But your mom and pops are going to be there for you. They will be there on the front lines defending your your rights and defending all of our rights. So definitely visit your mom and pop gun stores and support them. Uh, because if you don't, then you, your mom and pops is going to go away. You're only going to have your big box stores. And then when someone says, hey, uh, there's a problem with AR-15s, we should stop selling them for a while. Then just like we saw in some other stores that happened after Sandy Hook, your big box stores are going to actually stop selling them. And then where are you going to be if you don't have your mom and pops? So don't if you don't listen to me. You know, you'll find out what happens down the road. So we don't want to repeat history at all. We don't repeat any of that stuff. And let's see. And the shooting that we have here that's going on in California. All right. So it looks like uh, there are four people that were killed in California. Doesn't look like they've released a name just yet. If anyone's got a name, definitely send that to me. I don't see a name's been released yet. Uh, looks like this guy was a uh, convicted felon. Well, they had to release the name. They say he's a convicted felon. So... Unless they just they have the information and not listing the name. Looks like he's a convicted felon. He's a prohibited person. Wasn't supposed to have a gun in the first place. Just like what we we saw in the shooting that was um, in here in Texas with the church shooting. Information should have been given to the Knicks, which it was not. The information. And then when that guy walked to the store, he should have been denied. So unfortunately, that didn't happen. All right. So that's it. That's all I got for you guys today. want to thank my Supporters, Texas and U.S. Law Shield. Something happens later on today. Something happens this weekend during the holidays. Dial 911 first, then call your attorney. Texas and U.S. Law Shield. If you don't have it, you might want to get it because I wouldn't leave home without it. As always, more guns equals less crime. Go out and buy yourself a gun. You've been listening to Come and Talk It with Michael Cargill.
keep your change. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. 